Chapter Two of Sister Simon's Murder Case by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Two. Reaching the top of the stairs, Dannie struck off blindly into the crowd. It didn't matter where she went. There was an awful giddiness swirling up somewhere out of the middle of her into her head, so she felt as if she were staggering heavily yet floating at the same time. Something tapped at her brain, like fate knocking at the door. But that would be the three pink roses bouncing on the hat. She must sew them down tighter. Diane would have a needle. She stopped dead still. She could not go to Diane. She could not go because the worst had happened. She had met him, face to face. And she had known him. And he had known her. And then she had been confronted by the girl. That incident was a tag-in, really, when you considered the terrible significance of the first. Yet you never knew into what importance a small beginning might grow. Lizette hadn't remembered her quite, but she would. And what would be more natural than to ask Diane, at breakfast perhaps, if she had had a nice visit with Aunt Danny? And Diane would be puzzled and hurt, and Lizette would recall how Aunt Danny had been scared to death and gone scuttling away into the night, and there would be questions. Why had her aunt been so frightened? Why hadn't she come to Diane where she was now? Oh, dear, Danny whispered. Her hand went up to the hat, and the old black purse whacked to the pavement. Retrieving it, she was bumped by a man who said, Excuse me, and three teenagers who did not. She couldn't stand here in the street. Gripping the suitcase, she hastened up the long hill. Movement was good, for it gave her the illusion that she was doing something. But she couldn't rush hither and yon all night. Her heart was pounding, her breath short, and worst of all, she was leaving the crowd behind. She stopped, gazing up the hill. A block or so ahead, above the softly rounded trees, sharp old-fashioned turrets stuck up against the sky. They were familiar turrets, in a way. She passed that way on the bus every time she came to town. Henry Waddy's mortuary. Henry. Why hadn't she thought of him before? Henry was used to counseling people in trouble. He would be calm and fatherly. Whether he would realize the significance of her discovery, that was something else. She would deal with Henry's possible doubt when the time came. Nearly running, Danny started ahead. Her arm was sore from lugging the suitcase. If only she could check it somewhere. She paused, glancing back down the hill. She had just passed a laundromat. They would have shelf room. They were used to bundles. Edging to the door, she looked inside. A man sat on a high stool with a newspaper spread out on the counter before him. On benches at the back of the long, narrow room, a dozen or so women flipped through magazines, while their laundry did itself in the white machines ranged around the walls. Danny opened the door. The man laid down the paper. He had very clean hands. Aye, he said. You come at the right time. I got a couple machines empty. Oh, I don't want to wash anything. She hoisted the suitcase to the counter and tapped its shabby paper side. Could I leave this with you for an hour or so? The man rubbed the back of his neck. He was almost bald, but on top of his head was a tiny patch of hair, which he had parted in the middle. It gave him a dapper air. Well, I guess I can oblige. If you're coming right back, that is, we don't make a practice of checking parcels. Oh, I am, and I'll pay you for your trouble, of course. No trouble, but I close at eleven. The clock on the wall showed only a little after nine. 
I'll be here long before eleven, Danny promised. He pushed forward a tag and a pencil. Name, please, lady. I'll be here, she repeated, nodding brightly, and hurried out into the street. She was a little surprised at herself. There was no reason why she should not have given her name. Perhaps caution was being born of fear. She even peered back over her shoulder as she started up the hill under the dark maples. Henry's place, luckily, was only a few minutes away. Danny always knew that Henry Waddy had done well for himself. Except for the sign, Funeral Home, his establishment might easily be mistaken for another of the old but comfortably spacious residences of the neighborhood. Venetian blinds slit the view of lighted rooms within. There were geraniums in the window boxes, and vinca vines trailing their green and white leaves. Hydrangea and bridal wreath and honeysuckle bulked against the white walls. A green rubber runner led from the street up to Henry's door, where a rubber mat said, Welcome. Standing on the mat, Danny pressed the doorbell. Soft chimes sounded inside. Perhaps Henry himself would open the door. He might not know her just on the instant, but it would take him no time at all to remember. The door opened. Danny's flicker of expectation died, for it was not Henry who stood on the threshold. This man was younger, tall and thin and stoop-shouldered. Never had she seen so bald a head. Down around his collar, where it did nothing for his appearance, he had a fringe of hair, but over the skull there was none. The light above him skated across the dome as shiny as the doorknob. He inclined his head and the light slid back. Good evening, madam. Good evening. Is... I'd like to see Mr. Waddy, please. Mr. Waddy is not in. Perhaps I could help you. Danny's heart sank. I make arrangements in Mr. Waddy's absence, the man added. Of course, later you may talk with him. He always sees personally to all of our services. Oh, I... I'm not a customer, Danny said quickly. No, Mr. Waddy is a friend. A friend of the family. I'm sure he'd see me. Indeed, yes. His manner became slightly less formal. I didn't quite understand. But Mr. Waddy really is not in. He left only a few minutes ago on a call. He doesn't go out anymore, as a rule. But these people ask specially for him, and in such a case he never refuses. Mr. Waddy is very considerate toward the bereaved. I'd expect so, Danny said. Henry would be like that, considerate toward everyone. Toward her, too. Could I come in and wait? I wouldn't care how long. The man had nice eyes, and they lingered on her in sympathy. I'm sorry, madam, but I'm afraid it wouldn't do a bit of good. The place is far out, an hour each way. They can't drive fast, you know. It will be close to midnight when they get back, and I'm sure Mr. Waddy won't return here. He'll have the driver drop him off at home. By that time, Ted, our nightman, will be here to help with the unloading. I see. Danny turned back to the green matting. She had never felt more desolate in all her life. Behind her there was the soft twang of a spring, as if the man had opened the screen door wider, and his voice was quick with concern. Couldn't you stop by in the morning? Mr. Waddy is always here around nine. Morning was a night away, and fear nipped at her heels like a hound out of the dark. She murmured yes. She stopped by in the morning, but the man must not have heard. Mr. Waddy will be asking who called, madam. What name shall I say? Danny increased her pace, pretending not to hear his question. 
she reached the end of the green rubber and turned once again toward the distant bright lights of main street she walked very fast going downhill there was one other possible source of help vince he would have to come to her rescue not that she doubted his willingness quite the contrary the difficult part would be to keep him from flying into instant action calling the police chasing down to the waterfront and broiling everyone in wild confusion well what if she couldn't restrain him what difference would it make at least the awful weight would be off her shoulders the jukeboxes were still making a gay affair of the evening when danny came again into the midway but she scarcely heard them just beyond the laundromat she crossed through the traffic hurried on until she came to the bank corner paused briefly then sped off into the dark if she remembered the location of vince's house correctly she wouldn't have far to go half a block later she saw that she had not forgotten except that she was on the opposite side of the avenue there could be no mistaking the place bare of trees on a tree-lined street a tall unlovely hulk making no pretense of being a home vince barron never had cared about comfort you'd never guess looking at the house that he had made a million in the lumber business he must still have his offices crammed onto the lower floor for the windows were dark upstairs where he had always lived one broad uncurtained window was lighted eagerly danny came out to the curb ready to cross but then she stopped a man had appeared in the window a tall rangy man with a handful of papers which he began to flip one by one onto some surface below the sill twice as she watched he made quick dips out of sight most likely to snatch at a paper that had gone sailing impatient stormy vince was he the one to trust with a secret which required calm deliberation i don't know she whispered i don't know but of course she did know and the knowledge kept her from crossing the avenue and climbing those dark steps she couldn't send vince rushing around with a hot-headed charge of murder not unless she was very sure and was she that sure slowly danny turned once again toward main street she was so tired now that she could scarcely drag one foot after the other better go to the hotel but she had so little money and if she were to remain in town rather since she must remain in town long enough to clear up this matter that she dared not be extravagant there was the practical certainty too that lizette would mention something to diane about having seen her aunt and the only way to keep diane from feeling hurt would be to go out to the hospital it would conserve the small fund in the old black purse and when you come right down to it where was the danger yet she hadn't given herself away at least she hadn't spoken to him he knew her but how could he be sure that she knew him and why exactly should he fear her when she hadn't gone to the police twenty years ago why should she go now a bus came just as she reached the bank corner and she sprinted to catch it it had carried her on to the river bridge before she remembered the suitcase she jumped up and staggered to the front of the bus i-i forgot something how soon would i get a bus going back she asked the driver that'll be me lady he looked at his watch ten twenty-six now it'd be about eleven i go clear to the heights before i turn around want me to stop danny peered out into the black night the laundromat would close at eleven and besides she shouldn't walk in on diane any later than this how's about it lady no i'll go on to st matthew's hospital thank you tomorrow morning on her way to henry's she would stop and pick up the suitcase 
The corner where the bus stopped was well lighted. The hospital, too, was checked with lighted windows, and there was a mellow flood around the entrance. But between, for half a block, lay nothing but darkness. Danny would have to walk through it, or run. For a panicky moment after she alighted, she thought of shouting after the bus, making that friendly young man take her with them to the end of the line and back. But what good would that do? The hour would be later on the return. Go ahead now, and walk, don't run. There was nothing to be afraid of. After all, the only difference between night and day was that you could see things in the daytime. At night you couldn't see. But you could hear. There were steps behind her, long steps, keeping the rhythm of her own, but catching up to her because of that long stride. Only a man would pace along like that. Only a man. And the sheltering trees made a black tunnel, ending a lifetime away at the hospital entrance. End of chapter 2